Thank you, KDNK listeners, for joining me on the first Meet in the Middle show, where we share dialogue on complex issues with local thought leaders with differing opinions. The hope is for listeners to gain new perspective and maybe even discover some better solutions. I'm Dan Richardson, and today's topic is workforce or affordable housing. Whose problem is it? My guests today are Paul Mentor. Paul's a CFO at High Society Freeride Company, a columnist for the Aspen Daily News, and a board member for a local nonprofit housing corporation. He's a former municipal finance director and elected official, and he's one of the more courageous community members for asking tough questions, respectfully and thoughtfully. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad to be here. My other guest is Clark Anderson. Clark is co-founder and executive director of Community Builders down in Glenwood Springs. He spent the last 15 years helping communities address complex land use, transportation, housing, and economic development challenges. He's an entrepreneur, a seasoned facilitator, and a bridge builder. He's adept at helping people find common ground through informed dialogue and meaningful public engagement, exactly what we're trying to do on this show. So, Clark, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks a lot. Glad to be here. So thank you both for being here and for all you do in our communities. Uh, I'm pretty dang excited for this to be the first Meet in the Middle show, um, but also to have you here uh, to kick this off. Affordable housing is a a topic that doesn't really need much introduction, but I thought I'd share a little bit of context um, just to put it in context. Uh, in the Roaring Fork Valley, communities typically refer to the issue as workforce or affordable or attainable housing. Each has a nuanced definition, but today we'll probably use them interchangeably. Um, the affordability and availability of housing is probably one of the more important economic factors in our region. No matter who you are or what you do, this issue impacts you to some degree. So here's a little context to put the challenge into perspective. We'll use the term Uh, AMI, uh, I I suspect, which stands for Area Median Income, which is the midpoint of incomes. So half of the people in the region make more, half the people work less. Carbondale's 2022 Area Median Income, the AMI, is $94,200 for one person, plus $7,500 for each additional person in the household. That's important as we talk about what does it mean to be affordable, and, and, uh, and we'll get into that. I also want to mention that in 2019, the Greater Roaring Fork Regional Housing Study was released, and that region covered from Aspen to Parachute to Edwards, and they helped put the housing issue in context for the region. The report stated that Carbondale will need another 700 plus or minus units for people making less than that 100% AMA, AMI number by 2027, and the entire region would need 5,700 units uh, by 2027, just five years away from now. Another highlight I took out of that was the overspending on housing, so spending more than what that affordable rate is. Typically, uh, we use 30% of your gross income is what's considered affordable. That overspending by all of us costs the region $54 million a year, so that's not going to um, productive use or quality of life, and that's overspending, which is taxing people's quality of life, essentially. Um, Burdening them, I shouldn't use the word taxing. Um, And lastly, 55% of workers in the region cross paths every day, so they're commuting past each other, and 40% live where they work. So the housing challenge also uh, has a ripple effect on transportation. So with that, um, 
I wanted to um, start with some questions. Um, first, I guess I'll ask, uh, we'll start with Clark. Clark, is there anything you want to add to that context? I, I just covered a couple of key tidbits, but what would you add to that? Well, it's it's a big topic, so there's probably a lot to add. But in the interest of you know keeping us focused, I think it's just useful in a region like ours, right? We're in the Roaring Fork Valley, Colorado River Valleys. Um, our markets, when it, as it pertains to housing, are interconnected here. So I think it's useful to step back and just understand a little bit about why we have a challenge. And I think um, without going too deep into that, there's some really important factors. I mean, one is there is a mismatch between the amount of, of housing we have, the supply, and the demand for housing, right? So that's a longstanding challenge, and that means that uh, the cost of housing and the cost of land uh, is going up. Um, there's also, and this is something where it's not surely a numbers game, where we just don't have enough supply in general. It's the lack of diversity in the housing we have. So uh, for a long time, we've mostly built you know larger single-family homes, and um, so we don't have as much... Uh, different types of housing products that could be more affordable simply by virtue of their design. Um, there's a lot of parts of the valley where it wouldn't matter anyway. Um, it's also really important just to note there's, you know, the costs of development are and have been increasing, whether you're looking at land, materials, labor. Um, and really important in our valley um, is the impact of the luxury market. And so let's put into the luxury market short-term rentals and vacation, you know, vacation homes, second homes. And just to note that those are really their own market. And, and the, the workforce market, even just the free market, can't really compete with those. They're, 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 they're playing at a different level. And so the price escalation that comes with that when somebody can come in and pay the prices that people can pay in this valley for homes and land um, really has a, an escalating effect. Additionally, you know, at a more national level, we're seeing the financialization of housing where people, um, financial institutions, hedge funds, so on and so forth, are engaging in local markets in ways where they're picking up, whether it's mobile home parks or short-term rentals or, or just single-family homes and, and turning them into long-term rentals. Um, we're seeing a level of investment from the outside in that's really shaking up pricing in our community. So those are some really important drivers. And the reason I think it's important to, and those are just some, I, I think another one is community opposition to housing, and that's maybe a whole other conversation. But um, I think those are important to bring up because we often get stuck in old narratives here about why we have this problem. And it's really easy for people down Valley to say, you know, where I am in Glenwood to say, well, the, it's all Aspen's problem. And the only reason we have this problem is because everybody, you know, there's all these jobs up in Aspen and we're not providing enough housing for them up there. And so we got all this traffic and there's not enough housing. And then it's also really easy for people in the upper end of the valley to say, well, this is because, you know, those guys down valley aren't producing, aren't doing their part on creating deed restricted units. And the reality is those are, you know, it's, it's not nearly that black and white. It's a regional problem and our hands are all in it. Thank you, Clark. Uh, Paul, anything to add to the context? Context. Yeah, I, I think I think Clark makes a lot of really good points. The um, you know what I wrote down after looking at your um, the outline you provided, Dan, was that um, you know housing affordability and availability and aligning housing with the needs of a community is a systemic problem, and that's kind of what you described in more detail, right? That that um, uh, it's we and we. We try and solve systemic problems 
as humans with institutional solutions oftentimes. Hmm. So one example is the, the housing report that you just quoted. 5,700 housing units are needed in the Roaring Fork Valley in the next five years. You know, that's a housing metric delivered outside of the context of the overall um, public policy goals and objectives of the valley. And it's a valley that is divided up among three counties, all with very different leadership, very different philosophies on those priorities, you know, and all the, all the individual communities, Carbondale, Basalt, Aspen, Glenwood Springs. Basically, 5,700 units of housing is another community, what, the size of Carbondale and part of Basalt combined. I mean, that's another that, that add that in five, you're going to add that yeah. in five years to the right. Roaring Fork Valley. Right. It sounds, you know, how is that going to happen? How is that going to be achieved without sacrificing the environmental and the, and the other uh, lifestyle and life quality goals um, that the community uh, in the valley wants to see addressed by, uh, by the government? Um, you know, you're just so intertwined with all the, these other issues. There isn't really one solution, it seems to me, in a, in a complex systemic problem like this. There need to be lots of solutions. And, uh, and that, to me, is, is the rest of the context. You need to follow those solutions where, they're, where, you, can get, where you can get them. You, you can't be doing the square peg in the round hole kind of thing and trying to, trying to replicate what Aspen did. In some sense, Aspen is a, is a separate animal to everything else in the valley. Aspen's deal, been dealing with house, affordable housing since the early 1980s in a very institutional way. A lot of the, um, I think a lot of the impacts that we're starting to feel now have been felt in Aspen for several decades, and they're now starting to spill over more and more into the lower valley. Um, and they're very real, and they need to be addressed. But I think that the issue is that if you can't, you can't, there's not one solution, and I think trying to copy what Aspen did would be a mistake. You know, one, if I could just add one thing, really great points. Um, one other thing that that, that uh, housing, regional housing study that you talked about mentioned that I think is worth noting is the breadth of the challenge. It is not the case that just people making from 40 to 100% of AMI are struggling. Uh, what that report really indicated was um, gaps and a need across a wide range of income levels. And in some of the work we've done uh, recently down in Glenwood, you know, that was really confirmed anecdotally with a lot of conversation with a variety of different businesses, all of whom are really struggling to hire. And this is from engineering firms and, and uh, attorneys to, you know, service sector workers. Um, they're all facing the same challenge. We just don't have the housing here. And that's, you know, some of those people are, are making 200% of, of area median income. So it is a real uh, beastly challenge that way. Yeah, and I would say that COVID and and even the short-term rental phenomenon since COVID has made it um, significantly more uh, challenging for, especially that, well, for, for all classes. Um, Paul, I want to touch on something you said. I, I, I like that phrase, we try to solve systemic problems with institutional solutions. I think I, I got that right. Yes. And then you also mentioned that Aspen has attempted to solve it with an institutional solution since the 80s. We're, we're now 42 years later or whatever, mm -hmm. and even Aspen would admit they haven't solved it. Let's dive into that. So what? So Garfield County is, is b behind the curve just because they haven't been working on it for 40 years. Let's talk about how, what would Garfield County do differently? Is, is, is there more of a, 
a systemic solution out there or um, – Tell me more about. But, so first, I don't want to be too critical of APSHA. Okay. I think APSHA has actually, on balance, been very successful. I okay. think over the years, and APSHA is not the only affordable housing provider in Picking County. Of course, there are others. I'm on the board of one. Right. You know that uh, uh, I'm on the board that uh, owns and operates Hunter Longhouse, and we are um, not affiliated with APSHA, but we follow the guidelines um, okay. for uh, for affordable housing, for and it's a for rental housing. Um, but uh, so, because I, I, I think I think by and large, institutional solutions run into trouble when they're disrupted, and we've been through a huge disrupt disruptive period, and um, and so they're struggling right now, and I think that the the way we define work as a as a society and the way we define home as a society are both changing in ways they haven't changed in a century. Quite frankly, faster than they that they were all moving, you know, um, with uh, work from home and you know these the tech worker and the gig worker um, trend and the the, ch- the short term rentals and a lot of millennials looking for very different and creative housing solutions that aren't what you know people old people like me are familiar with. So trying to solve, continue to solve the pro- the current problems with those kinds of solutions and having a big driver like APSHA. I think can be an encumbrance to pivoting agilely enough to really meet the housing needs efficiently and effectively. But I don't want to be too critical of APSHA because I think APSHA provides a very, very critical, vital public service for the whole valley, not just Aspen and Picking County. Um, but they also provide a good example, I think, as a contrast. Um, you know, I think that Garfield County and Eagle County, too, with the small sliver of Eagle County that we have in the lower valley. I think playing a more facilitative rather than a directive role in providing um, opportunities for people who advocate for and support affordable housing to build those solutions in in ways that make sense for the smaller communities in which they live and the economic systems in which the the smaller kind of economic systems, whether it be you know within Glenwood Springs, within Carbondale, um, and even now moving down the Colorado River Valley, um, where there's a huge migration happening right now of people from the Roaring Fork Valley, and that that's not new, but it's uh, but it has been um, kind of it's it's seen a surge over the last couple of years with COVID as well. So there there are I think that government's role should be more facilitative than directive. Is, is what I would say um, about uh, about how Garfield County can maybe learn. And it doesn't mean that they're not involved. It doesn't mean they don't participate and, and play an active, very uh, important role, but um, but maybe not as institutionally significant as, as a single central body that everything else orbits around, right. which is kind of what APSHA has become over the years. Well, and APSHA is the beneficiary of the real estate transfer tax. They were essentially grandfathered in and then the voters of Colorado said, no, 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 you're no longer allowed to even ask that question. So, Clark, I might turn that back to you. What I'm hearing Paul say is they've had the opportunity to serve in a, uh, in a directive way. They've also had the funding source. You're more familiar with Glenwood. What do you think about how do you, how, how do you learn from Picking County and what do you do differently down in Garfield County? Well, Paul's right. They're, they're very different. And um, I think Garfield County... You know, so we work with a lot of different communities around the Rocky Mountain West that are all trying to tackle this. And so um, you have to really understand and consider the, the capacity that the, that the 
community or in this case a county has to actually tackle the problem. And you brought up the real estate transfer tax. And the reality is Garfield County has no such funding source like that. Neither does Glenwood or, or any of the other uh, municipalities in the county. Um, even Eagle County, which tried to put a dedicated source of funding on the ballot a few years ago, that, that was unsuccessful. And so Eagle County has made very significant contributions to uh, a fund, their Bold Moves Fund, but they don't have a dedicated source of funding. So it's a very special thing, that, uh, that dedicated funding that APCHA has. Um, but they are really different beasts, and the reality is, unfortunately, Garfield County doesn't really have an approach right now. Um, so it's very hand-off, hands-off. Um, and what's happening instead is the municipalities are stepping up, and so you're seeing that type of activity in Glenwood right now, which actually has been quite active and has one of the more interesting and, and I would say sort of aggressive approaches to regulating short-term rentals and has caps that have managed to keep the number of short-term rentals in town relatively low compared to other communities of its size with such a tourist uh, orientation to the economy. Um, also, a lot of code reforms to make it possible to build different types of housing and accessory dwelling units. Also, passing an inclusionary uh, housing policy that requires that some portion of, of all new uh, development be affordable. Um, and now is looking at putting a creating a dedicated source of funding, which would be that's sort of the, a real big important lift that that um, a lot of communities need to move towards. And you know, so Glenwood Council voted just a couple weeks ago to put that on the ballot, and it would be a two point five percent lodging tax. So that would be a pretty significant move. We've been helping them out with that. Um, but Garfield County right now has been out of the way, and I'd agree with Paul that. I don't think it's the case that Garfield County should try to act or behave like Pitkin County because they're very different beasts. And the reality is the way you make these things happen, you know, in, in these communities is you got to squeeze all the impact you can out of every dollar you have. And given that Garfield County and Eagle County and all these places are never going to have that same source level of funding that APSHA has, um, we're going to have to do a lot of creative things where we're leveraging resources, and that's where that facilitative approach comes in. It's enabling public-private partnerships. It's incentivizing the private sector, you know, incentivizing ex the building and development of accessory dwelling units, for example, and in exchange for that incentive, you put a deed restriction on it. There's a lot of different things that can be done, and frankly, a lot of them are actually development neutral, where the incentive is in place to get a homeowner um, or property owner to deed restrict um, their home. And there's, there's a lot of neat new tools that are out there that also don't have the long time frames of um, actual, you know, housing development. And I think that the, a good model to look at in county level leadership on that is Summit County has done some really cool things. They established a funded program I want to say about 20 years ago, starting with a uh, sales tax, and they've added to it over time. A lot of them are adding to it now with short-term rental taxes. And they have managed to create a lot of units over there and a lot of really effective programs. And I think they're another place to really look at to how can a county that's in a more of a situation like Garfield County is um, take some of these things on. So this, this is good stuff. Um, I heard you say... Was, was it squeeze every dollar out of the impacts? or was Squeeze. It, was, you want as much impact you can get out of every dollar. Okay. And so that's about you know creating leverage and making sure you're creating long-term assets. And I want to be really clear about what that means. If you're talking about creating below-market housing, and that's what affordable housing is, it's, it costs less than it would on the market, 
then you know you're probably talking about some sort of subsidy. You, you are, <laughs> and more often than not, that's going to include some type of financial element. So we have to be able to get as much as we can out of those public, usually they're public dollars, and uh, that means a couple things. One, it's about creating leverage. So if we put a dollar in, we want to make sure we're getting four from somewhere else. Gotcha. Two, it's le- it's working with the private sector so that it's not all government, you know, funded development, but instead. You know, the local government's coming in and they're covering 5% of the, the gap that exists on a project. And three, we want to create long-term assets that stay in the community. So, Because otherwise you could just subsidize individuals and say, here's money for housing. We have people ask us about that all the time. Well, what happens when that person moves away in two years? You've lost that investment. So we want the investment to stay in the community so you're accruing that benefit over time. Thanks, Clark. I want to put it back to Paul and and – I really love that phrase of facilitative rather than directive role. But what I'm hearing and, and what I've experienced is short-term rentals kind of came out of nowhere. That was a free market solution to vacationers, but really wreaked havoc on affordable housing. You've got the fix and flip market of builders that has also really exacerbated the problem. And what I'm hearing Clark say is there needs to be incentives and there needs to be controls. So how does how do we not what, – what, what can we do that's not so directive and facili- and be more facilitated? So, so here's here's one thing. So this is an area where I think maybe we all need to take a step back and maybe evaluate what we're, what we're seeing. Short-term rentals are not new. They've been around for a long time. The again, like a, like so many things, they hit a spurt and a surge during COVID. How much of that growth curve during COVID is transient and how much of it will continue, we don't know. But VRBO has been around. I mean, when I first moved to Aspen in 2002, I met several people who, you know, had a habit of they would rent their condo for two weeks over the holidays and pay for their mortgage. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, happened all the time. Yeah. It still happens all the time, I'm sure. So what's happened is, is that it's grown. It's become more institutionalized. In some ways, it's become more it's, – it's kind of, you know, come – up above the, the level of the water, if you will, so it can be seen. It's not below the radar anymore. And so it does need to be managed. It does need to be regulated. And I think that that's very important. But I think we need to base those regulatory decisions and the exactions that come out of those on, um, uh, on the facts. And this is an, it's still an emergent issue, in my view. You know, Separately, and on a separate, little bit of separate but related issue, you know, Rachel Richards, city council member, longtime public serving elected official in Picking County, has been the mayor, been on city council, been on BLCC. Um, you know, she has been calling the the information that they have on which that the city council has has currently on which to base decisions around affordable housing um, and around STRs. She's been and, and around other issues. She's been calling it as anecdotes for a year now. You know, very diplomatically, very thoughtfully, she's been trying to push her her government back to really basing their decisions on metrics and information. Aspen is now assuming that they're going to have to pay $1.2 million per copy for every new affordable housing unit that they build of public money. Okay, that's the subsidy that the, that they're looking at. That, that's not – I correct myself. It's almost the whole subsidy, but it's actually the, the total cost – but, you know, because the amount of money that they're getting back out of those units because of the affordable housing levels is so low, 
the subsidy is probably close to a million dollars on each of those new units. Okay. So finding ways to more most more efficiently use the housing stock that they have to meet their community goals is really important. And so they're facing issues of a more mature system of how do you prioritize among the me, among people in your community, among the kinds of um, uh, community members who should be who should qualify? It's a very hard you know subject to broach as an elected leader, but that's kind of what what they are facing, either doing that or just committing themselves that they're just going to build units and let people retire in their units forever and not worry about if they work from home for Google or if they actually work at a restaurant. But they've got a lot of issues. So, so, in ter- so Garfield County has the opportunity to set up a structure that allows them to anticipate those kinds of, um, uh, kind of generational impacts right now so that they can build those into their rules and their guidelines so that they have that. So there's an expectation around the system that they build around, okay, if I want to move to this area, you know, they prioritize these kinds of workers or the, and I'm just making this up. I'm not advocating for anything. These are community discussions that need to be had, but they, they prioritize these kinds of workers or these kinds of um, uh, professions or, you know, they're, these are the rules. If you want to retire in your D district or affordable housing unit there, you know, these are the rules for it. Um, and they start from the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, uh, geez, we're already just a couple minutes left. You mentioned data, Paul. Um, Clark, have you guys talked about the metric that Picking County uses in numbers, uh, number of, or percentage of workforce housed? That's the number Picking County has been using. Is that a good goal in Garfield County? That's a great question. So, I was recently, we were doing some work down in Gunnison County, actually, and the mayor for the town of Crested Butte said, we need to move away from trying to measure all of our progress on this area around the number of units we build. Like, that's important, but that can't be the only metric. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we probably don't have time to go into, but I think that's a piece of it. I think we need to have goals. I think a lot of the goals have to be, again, how do we, you know, the 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 cost per unit that Paul just mentioned, you know, so if we can create, uh, imagine if we were going to create a $2 million a year dedicated source of funding in Glenwood, which would be a really big deal. We get two housing units a year. There's no way. So for us, it's got to be about leverage. We've got to make every one of those dollars do 10 times as much work. And so, um, the, so, so I think as, as much as the number of units, it's also sort of um, who are we serving and are we, are we building great neighborhoods and are we getting development in the places we want? Um, and what type of leverage are we getting? Cause if we're really attracting a lot of resources with every dollar we spend, that is actually a metrics of a metric of success as well. If you have more than enough money, then you don't have to worry about that. But in these places that really don't have enough money, it's got to, yeah, it's got to be a number of units we create either by n- new development or by uh, it working with existing housing stock, but it's also got to include more than that. Thanks, Clark. And thank you, Paul, both for joining us. Uh, that went by really quickly. Lots of other questions we need to answer, but thanks for joining me today. And I think what I heard is there's a lot that Picking County has done that Garfield County can learn from, and y'all are helping us get there. So thank you. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Please stay tuned for more Meet in the Middle shows covering many diverse topics, and you're listening to KDNK Public Radio. Thank you.